Good morning, Orchard. Who's ready to begin the book of Esther today? Let me hear from you. Awesome. Ready or not, here it comes. Take out your Bibles, your mobile devices, whichever you choose to use, and find your way to the book of Esther, chapter 1, verse 1. Um, if you've got a paper-type Bible, go to the book of Psalms and go back two books to the left, and you'll find the book of Esther as we kick off our new series called All In, as we're going to be studying and looking at one of my favorite uh, stories in all of the Bible. Let me ask this by a show of hands as we begin this morning. How many of you, like me, you love movies. You love movies, okay? Let, let's take a little poll. I'm going to find out what kind of movies that you guys love. How many of you love drama and suspense type movies? Drama and suspense? Okay, put your hands down. How many of you like revenge and justice type movies? You know, like Shawshank Redemption. You like those? Okay. Now, I'm going to dare ask this, and some of you guys are going to lie. Okay, God knows you're in church. How many of you love chick flicks? You love chick flicks, okay? All right. Somebody down here is booing and hissing. I have to raise my hand on this or my wife is going to call me out. I actually enjoy a good chick flick and I usually end up crying before my wife does during, uh, I have a tender heart, okay? Well, listen, as we jump into the book of Esther, this is a, a true story. It's not a, a movie. It's not written by Hollywood. It's not a fable. It's a true story, and this story has everything. It's kind of a brave heart meets Shawshank Redemption meets Game of Thrones meets The Notebook. I mean, it really has a little bit of everything, and it is, is one of my favorite stories. And so we're going to jump right into it in Esther chapter 1, uh, verse 1 this morning, and then I'm going to give you some context. So let's jump in. Esther chapter 1, verse 1. It says, these events happened in the days of King Xerxes. Everybody say Xerxes. Who reigned over 127 provinces stretching from India to Ethiopia. It's about the size of the United States. At that time, Xerxes ruled his empire from his royal throne at the fortress of Susa, which would have basically kind of been like his summer home. He had several different places because he was the king. Now, as we jump into the book of Esther, I want to give you some context because if you've been coming to Orchard any amount of time, the three most important rules of Bible study are context, context, context. So let me give you some background to this story, and I hope you'll take some notes on your newsletter. First of all, who's the author of this book? A lot of people think it's Esther because her name is on the top, but we don't believe that she's the author. Actually, scholars say we don't know. It's unknown who the author is. Some say it's possibly Mordecai or Ezra or Nehemiah. We're not sure. Here's what we do know, that ultimately God is the author of all scripture. Amen? So this is inspired by God. For those of you that like history and dates, this story literally took place between the time of about 483 and 473 BC. So this is a 2,500-year-old story, but it's just as practical and applicable today as if it happened yesterday. The setting, where does this take place? It takes place in ancient ancient Persia. Today, this is the area of Iran. This is a time where the Persians ruled the world, and King Xerxes was the king of Persia. Let me tell you about some of the major characters and players and cards that are going to be played in this story. The first one we were already introduced to, King Xerxes. Now, this is his Greek name. Uh, some of your Bible translations may have Ahasuerus. That's his Hebrew or Persian name. We're going to go with King Xerxes because I'm going to be reading this story out of the New Living Translation, and it uses is King Xerxes. Also, it's easier to pronounce. So I'm going with that. King, King Xerxes. Now, some of you may recognize this name. You're like, is that the King Xerxes that is displayed in the movie 300? And I'm not going to ask you if you saw the movie 300. Okay, that's a movie where the guys are like poster guys for P90X and the women don't wear enough clothes. 
But it is the same. It's the same king that's displayed in that. Uh, this is how he's displayed uh, in, in that movie. If you've ever played the uh, game, the video game, uh, Assassin's Creed, uh, all, yeah, there you go. The same King Xerxes, he's, he's in that game. They were doing an archaeological dig in Iran, and they found some inscriptions that uh, King Xerxes had written. And this is the inscription they found, how he wanted to be um, addressed as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Does that sound familiar? That's what he claimed, that he was the king of all kings, the lord of all lords. During that time, many people thought he was a man who was like a god. He was like a god-man. Now, history tells us that he was a very uh, good-looking man, an attractive man. I hate it when people, like a, a lady will ask me, say like, hey, is he good-looking? I'm like, I, don't ask me that. I don't, don't you hate that, dudes, you know, when they're like, hey, is that guy cute? Is he good-looking? I'm not going to answer that. I just don't want to go there. But they, history says he was very attractive. Now, I don't know how you define attractive. Ladies, I don't know how you define an attractive man, you know, tall, dark, and handsome. If I were going to define it, I would say more like short, tan, and cute. That's my definition. That's what I'm going with. That's what I'm going with. All right. So King Xerxes is a major player throughout this story. Um, now, he has a wife who is the queen. Her name is Queen Vashti. But don't pay much attention to her because she's not going to last long. We don't even, she doesn't even make it out of chapter one, as you're going to see today. Um, any good story has to have a villain, right? And there is a villain in this story. His name is Haman. He's like the prime minister uh, to King Xerxes. He's right-hand man. He's like a pre-Hitler type guy. He hates the Jewish people, wants to have them annihilated. He is the real joker, if you will, in this story as we think about Haman. We'll get to him uh, in a couple of weeks. Then there's Mordecai, another key character in this story. He is a Jewish exile. Um, he's a Jew who's been exiled to Persia. He is the older cousin of our star of this show, if you will, Esther. He's the older cousin, and he becomes her adoptive father, which leads us to Esther. Esther was a Jewish orphan. Her parents had died, and so her older cousin Mordecai took her in and was like a father to her. So those are the major players. Let me give you the theme of the book of Esther. The theme is the providence of God. The providence of God. Why did we name this series All In? Because we're going to talk about trusting God and going all in with our faith in any situation, no matter how difficult or challenging uh, it seems. Let me give you a, a good definition for the, the word providence. Providence is this, the protective care of God working behind the scenes of our life. It's a great definition of providence. The protective care of God working behind the scenes of our life. And what we're going to see is these cards are played throughout this story. The king is going to play his card. He's going to issue a decree. Satan's going to play his card and play his hand through a man named Haman. But God is the ace in the hole. God is going to have the last word. The providence of God is always working behind the scenes. I want you to note this about the book of Esther. This is one of only two books in your Bible where God's name is never mentioned one time. One of the books is Song of Solomon. The other one is this book, the book of Esther. Some scholars have even questioned, should the book of Esther be in our Bible? I say yes, it absolutely should be in our Bible because even though God's name is never mentioned one time, you cannot read and study the book of Esther without seeing God all over this story. I mean, he is working behind the scenes. His fingerprints are everywhere on this story. He may not be a major character in the pages, but he is sitting in the director's chair. 
as this story unfolds. So why do we need this book? I'll tell you why I believe we need this book of Esther in our Bibles and why we need to study this book regularly is because have you ever been in a place in your life, in your marriage, with your family, your kids, your health, your finances, and you just felt like God was absent? You know, God, where are you? I know you're there, but I don't, I don't see you. I don't feel you. I don't see, it doesn't seem like you're doing anything. If you've ever been there, say yes. We've all been there. And if you haven't, one day you will be. And that's why we need the book of Esther, because it reminds us that even when it doesn't seem like God is there, his name's not mentioned, his fingerprints are all over the story. He is everywhere at work, the providence of God. It reminds us of what the Hebrews writer said, that he, we have a God who will never leave us and never forsake us. Amen? And so let me give you this. This is a key theme throughout the book of Esther, why I love this story so much. Even when we cannot trace God, we can trust God. Amen? Even when we cannot trace God, we can trust God. And the story of Esther is a beautiful reminder of that truth. Esther is a living story of one of our favorite passages of the scripture that as believers we love to quote and it's in Romans 8:28 and it says and we know that God causes help me church causes everything not some things not most things but our God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them this verse is on display in the book of Esther God is working all things together for his good and for the good of his people and those that love him. And that's what we're going to see throughout the book of Esther. So as we dive into chapter 1 today, and we're going to go verse by verse through chapter 1, let me ask you this question by a show of hands. And this is where we're going with this today. How many of you would like to make a royal mess of your life? Just raise your hand, nice and high, okay? Anybody? Any takers? You'd like to make a royal mess of your marriage, of your finances, of your career? No, nobody wants to raise their hand to that. Nobody signs up for that. But if we're not careful, if we allow the same attitudes to creep into our life that King Xerxes allowed in his life, we'll wake up one day in the middle of a royal mess. And so we want to avoid that. The book of Esther opens with a very proud, arrogant, egotistical, self-indulgent king who makes a royal mess of everything in his life. You've heard me say this before. I'll say it over and over again. How many of you have heard this statement? Experience is the best teacher. You've heard that, right? I hate that statement. I disagree with that statement. I say somebody else's experience is the best teacher, especially when they're doing making bad decisions. That's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at the experience of King Xerxes, and we're going to try to avoid making a royal mess of our lives, and so we don't have to experience the same thing. So if you're taking notes this morning on the back of your newsletter, and I hope you will, I want us to talk about three ways we can avoid making a royal mess of our lives. Three ways we can avoid making a royal mess of our lives. The first one is this. We must avoid boastfulness. If we're going to avoid making a royal mess of our lives, we must avoid boastfulness. Let's pick it up in verse 3. It says, in the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet or a party. Who did? King Xerxes did. For all his nobles and officials, he invited all the military officers of Persia and Media, as well as the princes and nobles of the provinces. Verse 4. The celebration lasted, help me church, 180 days. For those of you that aren't good at math, that's six months. This is a six-month-long party. A tremend- Why did he do this? It was a tremendous display of the opulent wealth of his empire and the pomp and splendor of his majesty. 
And we open up the book of Esther with a six-month-long party. I mean, maybe you've been to a party that went to one, two, three in the morning. Maybe you went to a party that lasted all night. I mean, most of us probably haven't even been to a party that lasted two days. This is a six-month-long party. Some of y'all are like, sign me up. Some of you guys are like, six-month-long party. This reminds me of my freshman year of college. And who's at this party? He's got his posse there, his military leaders, his nobles, all his buds, all his pals. Many scholars believe there was much as, or as many as 15,000 men at this party. Can you imagine planning a six-month-long party for 15,000 men? That is an event planner's nightmare right here. And it's an, as we're going to see, this is an all-inclusive party. All you can eat, all you can drink, anything you want. Now, what was all this partying about? It was about King Xerxes showing off. He was boasting. He was trying to impress. Everybody's getting selfies with the king, and they're Snapchatting them and putting them on Twitter and Facebook. They're like, oh, look, I get to be with King Xerxes. This is incredible. Verse 5 says, when it was all over, the six-month-long party, the king gave a banquet for all the people, from the greatest to the least. This Now all the common people get to come, who were in the fortress of Susa. It lasted for how long? Seven days, and it was held in the courtyard of the palace garden. So the six-month party wasn't enough. He had to have a seven-day party at the end of the six-month party. This is like a vacation from your vacation. And now everybody's invited. And they're getting to come into the palace, and they're getting to see the amazing, opulent wealth where the king, great King Xerxes, rules and reigns on his throne. And everybody's just in la-la land. They can't believe what they're seeing. And it describes the scene for us in verse 6. The courtyard was beautifully decorated with white cotton curtains and blue hangings, which were fastened with white linen cords and purple ribbons to silver rings embedded in marble pillars. I mean, this guy did it up. I remember when we, we bought one of our houses and, and nobody had lived in it before. And so Shelly's like, we got to go out and get some curtains. And I'm like, okay, these look good. Oh, no, they've got to be fancy curtains. And then, well, let's just buy some regular rods. And she's like, oh, no, they've got to be decorative rods. Well, at least they weren't silver. I mean, this guy's putting up silver rods on marble pillars. They're purple. Now, that may not mean a lot to you guys because today, you know, we wear purple. Colorado Rockies are purple. We're going the game today. But purple was rare. It was only for royalty, only if you were just super wealthy. This was kind of like the Izod, Calvin Klein guests of the day. Nobody had this, but he had it. He's showing it off. It says then uh, they uh, were embedded in marble pillars. And then it says gold and silver couches stood on a mosaic pavement of porphyry, marble, mother pearl, and other costly stones. Hey, what's that couch made out of? Leather? No, it's made out of gold. Silver, there's my silver footstool, and you know, my end tables are silver, and here's gold. I mean, this guy is showing it all off. I mean, you know, today I think you can go tour like Michael Jackson's place and Elvis's place and maybe Buckingham Palace. Those would be, look like shacks compared to King Xerxes' opulent palace. And he's just boasting and prideful. He's showing all of this off. Now, the party it describes some of the details of this party. It says, drinks were served in gold goblets of many designs. No red solo cups at this party. <laughs> These were gold. You walk into the party, here's your gold cup. Oh, you don't like that design? Here, try this gold cup. I mean, th this was amazing. They get, everybody gets a golden goblet for their drink. And there was an abundance of what? Royal wine. Now, let me help you all. There's wine and then there's royal wine. This is no two-buck chuck from Trader Joe's stuff, okay? 
This is the best of the best royal wine for six months and seven days, reflecting the king's generosity. Man, he's really showing off. By edict of the king, now watch this. Some of y'all are going to like this. By edict of the king, no limits were placed on the drinking. For the king had instructed all the palace officials to serve each man as much as he wanted. Some of y'all are trying really hard to hold back an amen right now. Okay? I mean, this is like six months, seven day open bar. All you could eat. All you could drink. Let me help some of you younger folks that are in here that, that aren't married, that have a you know, dream of getting married someday, and you're kind of imagining your wedding. Let me help you out. If you're thinking, hey, when I get married, I'm going to have an open bar. Don't. That, that rarely goes well, okay? Cash bar is okay. Open bar can be a bad thing. Now, I know, you know we got Bill Barrow in here, and they own a married wedding place, and so sorry, Bill. But you know, you know what happens with open bars? Usually people get drunk, and they get sick, and they do things that are stupid, and they say things that are stupid, and the bride ends up in tears. We can't find grandma for a week. I mean, it's not... It's bad. It's usually a bad deal. I mean, this is a six-month... Seven-day open bar. And, and, and unfortunately, so, some of you, if you're honest, you're like, I kind of like to go to this party. This, this sounds pretty good. It's bad. It's worse than you think. Because history tells us, have you noticed there's no women at this party? Where are the women? Well, verse 9 tells us where the women are. At the same time, Queen Vashti gave a banquet for the women, for the, for the wives, for the sisters, for the daughters. They were in another place in the palace having their party. But that doesn't mean there weren't women at the six-month-long party. There were women there. They were the hired women. They were the ones that were paid to be there and to pleasure the men that had been drinking for six months and seven days. I mean, this is a bad scene. I'm just going to put it as bluntly as I can. This was a six-month, seven-day-long drunken orgy. That's what this was. That's what's going on with this king. And, and, and why is he doing this? Because he wanted to rule the world, and he knew the way to rule the world is to rule men. And they treated him like a god because he gave them anything their hearts desired, whatever they, they wanted. And he's boasting and he's prideful and he's whining and he's dining them so they'll support him and so he can control them. But King Xerxes forgot an important truth in Scripture. In Proverbs 16, 18, we'll put it on the screen. It says this, pride goes before what, church? Destruction and haughtiness before a fall. And he had forgot that because history tells us in 479 B.C. the Persians were completely defeated by the Greeks. Something that people thought would never happen to the great Persian Empire and the great King Xerxes. And how do we apply this, this first part to our lives? If we're not careful, you and I, we can think that we can rule our own lives, just like King Xerxes. And we can do whatever we want, whenever we want, however long we want. We can think that, you know, it's my marriage, it's my finances, it's my decisions, it's my kids, it's my stuff. And when we have that kind of prideful, egotistical, self-indulgent attitude like King Xerxes, you know what happens in our life? We make a royal mess, don't we? We make a royal mess of things when we think we're on the throne of our life and we can do whatever we want. And some of you know what I'm talking about because you'd look back and go, yeah, that was me. I could, I, I could teach this. If we want to avoid making a royal mess of our lives, the first thing we must avoid is boastfulness. Here's the second thing we must avoid. 
We must avoid not only boastfulness, but we must avoid drunkenness. Drunkenness. And, of course, they've been drinking open bar all you, you can have for six months, seven days. It says in verse 10, On the seventh day of the feast, when King Xerxes was in high spirits. What does that mean? He was in high spirits. He was drunk from spirits because of the wine. He told the seven eunuchs who attended him. Okay, some of y'all are like, what's a eunuch? Google it, okay? All right, I know we kind of gave like a, a, a disclaimer. This, this might not be for kids here today. I, I'm not going to give you a visual of a eunuch, all right? Just, but let me just say, these are men that used to enjoy their life that no longer do. Some of y'all get that, okay? Th- these seven eunuchs who attended him, he calls for them. And then, and then they've got names of these seven eunuchs. And to me, these sound like rapper names. Mehuman, Biztha, Horbona, Bigtha. If I was a rapper, I'd want to be Bigtha, not Littletha. Not Littletha. I'd want Bigtha. Abagtha, Zethar, and Carcass. We need to pray for this guy. It's bad enough that he's a eunuch. He's a eunuch named Carcass. That's horrible. He says to these eunuchs, you know what? Watch, he has a request of his eunuchs. Bring Queen Vashti to him with the royal crown on her head. Now remember, he's in high spirits. He's drunk at this point. I read this that he's like, bring Queen Vashti to me. That's how I read it. He calls for Queen Vashti with a royal crown. Why did he want Queen Vashti all of a sudden after six months, seven days to come to this party? She's been with the ladies. He wanted the nobles and all the other men to gaze on her beauty. He wanted to show off his trophy wife, if you will, for she was a very beautiful woman. But when they conveyed the king's orders to Queen Vashti, she what? She refused. How many of y'all understand? You don't refuse the king. Nobody says no to the king, and yet his wife says no. She refused to come. This made the king happy and joyful. No. This made the king furious, and he burned with anger. So now the boastfulness has led to drunkenness, and now he's t- you got a drunk, arrogant, angry king. This is a recipe for a royal mess. This is going to be on a cop's episode. You can just see this happening. And many scholars believe that when he requested for Queen Vashti to be brought before the men, some 15,000 men, wearing the royal crown, that he only wanted her wearing the royal crown. And nothing else paraded before 15,000 men. Now, unfortunately, some of you single guys out there may be like, I don't think that's that bad. It sounds like Hooters, you know, or Hawaiian Tropic uh, competition to me. But you know what? When you become a father, when you become a dad of a daughter, your perspective of women drastically changes. All the dads in here are like, these men should die. God should just send down fire from heaven and annihilate them all right now for asking the queen to do this. And this boastfulness led to drunkenness, and a royal mess is about to take place. This is, this is not going to go well. This is recipe for disaster. Now, let me say this about alcohol, okay? Because we're talking about drunkenness that leads to this royal mess taking place. Um, people ask sometimes, and we've, we've addressed this before at or- Orchard Church. People ask, what does Orchard Church believe about drinking alcohol? You know, what, what's Orchard Church's stand? Let me say this. It doesn't matter what Orchard Church believes. It only matters what the Bible says. Okay, that's a good place for an amen. Y'all left me hanging there. 
It doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter what we believe. It only matters what the Bible says. And here's what the Bible says when it comes to drinking alcohol. The Bible does not command abstinence. As a matter of fact, there's times in the Bible it encourages it. But it does condemn drunkenness. I don't believe drinking is a sin, but drunkenness is a sin. Can we agree? Say yes. If you know your Bible, that's what it says. Why does the Bible condemn drunkenness? Because when people get drunk, they act stupid. And they do bad things. And they say things that they wouldn't normally say. They do things they wouldn't normally do. It's not like anybody asks someone, Hey, how'd you turn your life around? Well, man, I got wasted one night. And my marriage just sort of came back together. No, it doesn't work like that. Drunkenness leads to bad decisions. And so this king decides it'd be a good idea to call for Queen Vashti to come in and I can show her off and all her beauty. Look, they're probably bragging about their women and wives. He's like, well, have you seen my queen? And so the king uh, calls for her. She refuses. The king is furious. Let me just say this because uh, scholars and commentators vary on their opinion of whether she should have come or not. You know, should she have obeyed the king anyway? Should she have honored her husband? I I believe that Vashti was right and the king was wrong. That's what I believe. This was shameful. This was degrading to parade her in front of all these men. But because she said no, Vashti embarrassed the king in front of all of his leaders, in front of all of his posse and all his drinking buddies. And so the king has to do something. He's got to save his ego. He's got to save his reputation. Proverbs 14, 17 says this. Short-tempered people do what, church? Foolish things. Especially drunk, short-tempered people do foolish things. And that leads to the third thing that we must avoid if we don't want to make a royal mess of our lives. We must avoid boastfulness, drunkenness, and then foolishness. Foolishness. Because now the king is about to make a foolish, drunken, prideful decision. Let's pick it up here in verse 13. It said, after Vashti refused to come, it says, He immediately consulted with his wise advisors. Um, Really, you should just read into that party buddies. Who knew all the Persian laws and customs, for he always asked their advice. The names of these men, and now we got some more names. Let me just throw this in as a, as a help to some of you. If you ever find yourself having to read the Bible out loud or teach the scriptures, and you come to these people's names that you don't know how to pronounce, you just say them with confidence and really fast. That's the key, okay? So you got these men. Karshina, Shatharta, Admatha, Tarshish, Maris, Marcina, and Memucan. There you go. Seven, I'm going with that. Seven nobles of Persian media. And so they got, they got to make a decision. What are we going to do with Queen Vashti? They met with the king regularly and held the highest positions in the empire. What must be done to Queen Vashti, the king demanded? What penalty does the law provide for a queen who refuses to obey the king's orders properly sent through his eunuchs? Ma'am, you can't answer the king and his nobles. Queen Vashti has wronged not only the king, but also every noble and citizen throughout your empire. Women everywhere will begin to despise their husbands and when they learn what Queen Vashti has refused to appear before the king. Before this day is out, the wives of all the king's nobles throughout Persia and media will hear what the queen did and will start treating their husbands the same way. There will be no end to their contempt and anger. He's like, they've brought this to a national crisis. Women are not going to respect their husbands any longer. We got to do something about this. This is bad. So, Verse 19, if it pleases the king, we suggest that you issue a written decree, a law of the Persians and Medes that cannot be revoked. It should order that Queen Vashti be forever, what church? Banished from the presence of King Xerxes. Yeah, get rid of her. No more wife, 
no more, no more queen, and that the king should choose what? Another queen more worthy than she. That's going to set up the rest of our story. When this decree is published throughout the king's vast empire, husbands everywhere, whatever their rank, will receive proper respect from their wives. The king and his nobles, watch this, thought this made good sense. Of course they thought it made good sense. They've been drinking with the king. They want to impress the king. That's a good idea. I don't know what it's like to experience that, but I've seen some of you guys. And so I, on Facebook, anyway, moving on. They're like, that makes good sense. That's a good idea. So they followed Mamukan's counsel. He sent letters to all parts of the empire, to each province in his own script and language, proclaiming that every man should be the ruler of his own home and should say whatever he pleases. Men, do not amen right now. Okay? Or you will be banished. They're like, we got to do something about this so that our wives will love and respect us. Can I help some of you men that are married? You cannot legislate love and respect from your wife. I don't know what was said over there, but I don't want to know. <laughs> you can't. You have to earn it. You, you contrast what King Xerxes and these men did and the decision they made to try to get love and respect from their wives with what Jesus told us about how we get love and respect. What Paul told us in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, it says, Husbands, what's the next word? Love your wives. Let me ask you this question. What King Xerxes asked his queen Vashti to do, was that loving? Was that caring? Was that nurturing? Was that honoring? No, it was everything but that. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and he gave himself for her. You love your wife like Christ loved the church. You sacrifice for her. You give for her. You honor her and you will find love and respect in return. But this king is motivated by pride, anger, and revenge. And he makes a decision that is unnecessary, unenforceable, and unchangeable. And he makes a royal mess of everything. He's lost his queen, he's lost his marriage, and now he's got a bunch of other men making bad decisions. As we begin to close this up, how do we apply this to our lives? How do I apply this to my life? When I allow, when you allow, when we allow pride, anger, and revenge to come to the surface and control our lives and our decisions, we will make foolish decisions, we will make a royal mess of things, and we will make decisions that we regret just like King Xerxes. We're going to open up next week, chapter 2, verse 1, and it says, after King Xerxes sobered up, he regretted all the decisions he had made. How many of you could think back right now in your life to a decision you made out of pride, anger, and revenge, and bitterness, and you regret it to this day? You made a royal mess. I've been there. You've been there. We've all been there. Let's learn from this. Now, here's the good news. Even though what... King Xerxes did was wrong, God is still going to use this for his purposes and will to be accomplished. Now, as we go into chapter two next week, we're going to see this is how all things work together for the good to those who love God. This is where we're going to see what happened in the story of Joseph. What it said, Joseph said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good and to save a lot of people. I'm kind of setting the stage for this new queen. Let me give you a hint. There's going to be a new queen chosen next week. It might have something to do with a Jewish orphan named Esther. Okay? But listen, what, we always want to be doers of the word and not just hearers. What do we, how do we apply this to our lives? The book of Esther, what we see here is a king that is able to control everything but himself. 
He's able to rule this vast empire. The, the, the history says that he, ruled, he claimed that he ruled everywhere that the sun set. He could control everything but himself. He was easily influenced by others. He made emotional decisions based on pride and ego and self-indulgence that he later regretted. He didn't get his way, and he gets angry and bitter and vindictive. Xerxes was a master of this great empire, but he couldn't master his own Self. He couldn't master his character. Here's why. He was controlled and led by the flesh. The Bible talks about the flesh. It's that sin nature. It's what we inherited from Adam and Eve when we were born. And even once we accept Christ, we still have our old flesh. How many of you, since you, the day you accepted Christ and you put the Holy Spirit of God in you, you still have sometimes struggled with sin? Okay? If you're not raising your hand, you're struggling with sin right now because you're lying to us, right? And, and, and King Xerxes was allowing the flesh to control all of his decisions. And in the same way that it made a mess, a royal mess in his life, when, when we allow pride to control our decisions and our life, we'll make a royal mess as well. I, 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 as I read Esther chapter 1, what I see is the flesh on display. Think of it this way. King Xerxes is a picture of the flesh. Everything he's doing, everything he's saying, all of his decisions, everything controlled by the flesh instead of the Spirit of God. Notice, God is not mentioned one time or referenced. He's not in the picture. And when we keep God out of the picture of our lives and we let the flesh rule and control and reign in our lives, we'll make a royal mess of things. So what's the solution to pride and ego in the flesh? Well, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, he gave us some wonderful advice. And all of you... All of you means all of you and all of me, all of us. Dress yourselves in what, church? Humility, the opposite of what we see on display in this story from King Xerxes. Dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, gives a stiff arm, but gives grace to the humble. So, what, church? Humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Don't try to take matters into our own hands, controlled and led by our flesh. Here's the question I want you guys to think about today. I want you to wake up tomorrow thinking about this. I want you to think about this all week based on chapter 1 in Esther. Here's the simple question. Here's the application, all wrapped up in this question. Who is on the throne of your life? That's the question. King Xerxes, the flesh, or King Jesus, the spirit? And every day that I wake up and every day that you wake up, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you wake up and you decide who's going to sit on the throne today. Who's going to sit on the throne of my marriage? Who's going to sit on the throne of my relationship with my kids? Who's going to sit on the throne of my finances? Who's going to sit on the throne of my decisions? Who's going to sit on my throne in, in the workplace? Who is sitting on the throne of our lives? King Xerxes, the flesh? that makes a royal mess of everything, or King Jesus. And let me tell you, Orchard Church, what I've learned in my life, and many of you have learned in your life, King Jesus is the better king. He's the better king than King Xerxes. He's the better king than you, and he's the better king than me. Let me say it this way. King Xerxes was the son of an evil man named Darius. King Jesus was the son of God. King Xerxes came here to be served. King Jesus came here not to be served, but to serve. King Xerxes abused and degraded women. King Jesus honored and lifted up women. King Xerxes uh, led from a throne in Persia. King Jesus leads from a throne today in heaven. King Xerxes held a six-month-long party plus seven days that came to an end. Jesus, King Jesus invites 
all of us as his children to an eternal banquet that's going to last for all eternity that has no end. King Xerxes, listen, was a powerful man on the earth, the most powerful man on the earth. King Jesus, he made the earth. King Xerxes, it said he ruled over this vast empire, that wherever the sun set, that's where King Xerxes ruled. Well, King Jesus made the sun to set. King Xerxes was a man who thought he was a god. King Jesus was God who became a man. King Xerxes came to this earth and he ruled and he reigned and he died. And nobody worships King Xerxes today. But King Jesus came to this earth, lived a perfect sinless life, died on the cross for our sins, was buried, rose again the third day, and billions of people worship him today as King Jesus. There's a big difference. King Xerxes' kingdom came to an end, but King Jesus offers us a kingdom with no end. King Jesus is a better king. Maybe it's time that we all got off the throne of our life and allowed King Jesus to take a seat. So that instead of making a royal mess of our lives, we're royally blessed. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would respond with action to your word today as your word and your spirit come together and they meet in our lives and what you're calling us to. And that we would remember that you are the King of all kings and Lord of all lords and the only one deserving of our honor and praise. So we continue an attitude of prayer right now. If you're here today as a believer, how many of you would say, you know what? I need to let King Jesus sit on the throne of my life and my marriage, my finances, my decisions, my relationship. There's been areas of my life that I've been trying to rule and reign and I need, to, I need to move over and let Jesus take a seat. Can I pray for you if God's speaking to you in that way? Would you slip up your hands all across this auditorium? There's areas of my life that I know I need to let Jesus take over. I need to let Jesus take control. I need to let him sit on the throne. God bless you. You can put your hands down. I'm gonna pray for you in just a moment. How many of you would also say, you know what? I, I feel like God is missing in my situation right now in my finances, in my marriage, in my health, or whatever it is. I, I, I believe he's there, but I just don't see him. And I, I pray that this story would help me to remember that I can trust God even when I cannot trace God. And Pastor Doug, would you pray for me that I would see Jesus and find Jesus through my situation right now? Can I pray for some people like that? Would you slip up your hand? Amen. God bless you. God bless you. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray that we would put this into practice those areas of, your, of our life that you are, your spirit is speaking to us where we have tried to take control like King Xerxes, that we've tried to rule and we've tried to reign, that we would get off the throne and allow you to sit there for your honor and your glory and for our good. I pray for those that are going through trials and tribulations and difficulties in their life and it, and it seems like you're absent and you're, you're not paying attention and, and you can't be found. I pray, Lord, that as people would draw near to you, you would draw near to them that as they seek you, that they would find you and that they would, they would go all in with their faith like we're going to see Esther do in this story, that they have a God that they can trust even when they cannot trace you. As we continue an attitude of prayer right now, you may be here today and you've never said yes to King Jesus. And the Spirit of God is working in your life today that it's time to say yes, to invite Jesus into your life as King of all kings and Lord of all lords, your King and your Lord, asking Him to forgive you of your sins. And He'll do that. And He'll be the best King that you've ever known and you'd ever want to serve and you'd ever want to follow. 
If you've never made that decision, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. Because I'm telling you, if you try to live your life without Jesus, sooner or later, you're going to find yourself in the middle of a royal mess. Believe me, I've been there. There was a time in my life that I tried to, to, to rule my own life and I made a mess of everything. And because of the grace and mercy of God, He allowed my life to be turned back around and to tell people about Jesus every single day, every single week. But if you're here and you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today it's time for you to, to make that decision. And I want to lead you in a prayer of faith that you can pray right now from your heart to God. It's not a magic prayer, magic words. But if God is calling you today into his family, would you pray this prayer with me right where you sit? It goes like this. Jesus, I want you to be my king, my Lord, my Savior. Forgive me my sins. I place all my faith in you. Thank you, Jesus, for loving and accepting me. Thank you. Thank you. So we continue an attitude of prayer with heads bowed and eyes closed. No one looking around. I don't want to embarrass anybody. But listen, if you just prayed that prayer for the first time and you meant it, I would love the privilege to pray for you, that you would grow in your relationship and fall in love with King Jesus. Can I, would you just slip up your hand right now if you prayed that prayer with me just so I could see it? God bless you. Thank you. God bless you, young person. God bless you. Anyone else? God bless you. A couple people over here. Yes, God bless you. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for those saying yes to you today as Lord and Savior, putting their faith and trust in you. I pray that they would grow to know you, to love you, and that all of us would walk out of here grateful and thankful for the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords, and that we get to be a part of a kingdom that will have no end for all eternity. And may we not keep this kingdom to ourselves, but may we share it with all those around us. Thank you as we welcome our new brothers and sisters in Christ into this family and this kingdom. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Can we celebrate Decisions for Christ this morning? Amen. Awesome. Praise God. Thanks, Thanks Pastor Doug. Well, hey, if you said yes to Jesus today, uh, we want to know about it. Um, hopefully, you've already filled out that connection card, but please take that out, fill it out, put it in the offering bucket as it passes by. Uh, we would love to be able to send you a free book in the mail um, to go along with that. Um, if you're a first-time guest and this is your first time here at Orchard Church, uh, welcome, first-time guest. Hopefully, you've already filled out that connection card. Please put that card in the offering bucket as it passes by. We want to be able to send you a thank you card in the mail as well as a free gift. And also, whether it's this week or maybe the past previous weeks, um, if, if, you have our, if you're new to Orchard Church and you've been coming, um, Pastor Doug would love to meet you. Um, he's just going to be right outside this blue tent as you exit these doors today, so please make sure you stop by and say hi. Uh, well, you guys, I am super excited for uh, our series and Esther All In to continue next week. I'm super excited. We're going to see uh, the king choose a new queen, okay? So make sure you come back. It's it's like an episode of The Bachelor, y'all, okay? And so he's got one rose, and he has to give it to one person. And so let's, uh, you guys, come back next week. We're going to actually see who he gives it to and how that actually all plays out. Well, go ahead and do, do me a favor. Wherever you're at, um, go ahead and stand up as we, uh, as we actually close in a song of worship, and we worship through our tithes and our offerings because we want to be a church that acts our wage by giving first, saving second, and then living on the rest. Thanks, guys. Love you.